Did you ever have that experience, parents, this is, with your kids? Someone gives them a gift and you, they don't say thank you and you have to say, hey, tell them thank you, tell them thank you. And then it kind of defeats the purpose because, like, if you have to tell them to say thank you, then obviously they weren't really thankful. And, um, or you want them to tell someone that you love them and they look at you like, why do I have to tell them I love them? You know, kids are just, they'll do the darndest things. But... That's how, like, that is how Jesus was with us. He didn't create us to have to. He created us to choose to. He didn't Ooh. create us to be robots. I love you, Jesus. You are my everything. He gave us the choice. We, we get to choose whether we're going to be in relationship with him or not. And I just realized if there's any regret that I have in my parenting, it's that sometimes I didn't make sure my children's hearts were what I was molding. Sometimes I was more concerned about the outside than their inside. Oh, what boy. was going on in there? As long as they obeyed, I thought I was doing good. But like the kid in the car that was, dad kept saying, sit down, and he didn't want to. And finally he said, well, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm not sitting down inside. <laughs> and how often are we like that? And I think as the church over here, we've got it so backwards. Yeah, we do. We think that life here and now is all about being happy, being joyful, being fulfilled, having the best life we can have, and that happiness is for now and that holiness is for when we get to be in eternity. Folks, it's the other way around. We're called to holiness. We're not called to a good life down here. In fact, the disciples didn't have good lives down here. I mean, if you stop to think about that, they were without honor. They were fools. They were made fun of. They were ridiculed. They were persecuted. So what makes us think? that we deserve a good life here. What makes us think that? We're entitled. As, as the body of Christ, we're entitled. It is about holiness here. Holiness now. And I don't mean legalism. Yep. I mean falling so in love with Jesus that you don't want to do anything to hurt him. Falling so in love with him that it breaks your heart when you mess up. That's what it's about. I mean, Romans says, Romans says, for what the law could not do as weak as it was through the flesh, Christ did by sending his son. And his son was so that we could have relationship. And out of that relationship, religion is not going to cut it. If your basis of relationship with Jesus is religion, you're going to fail. Because you are not going to meet the mark of the law. You cannot do it in your flesh. But if the basis of your relationship is Jesus and a personal relationship with him, it changes everything. It changes your perspective because you go from not having to keep the law, but just wanting time with him, wanting to spend time with him. So I want to encourage us, church, when we sing that song, holy, 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 holy is the Lord. He is so holy. I want to encourage you today, if you don't know Jesus personally, if you only know him on the basis of keeping his rules and his laws and his regulations, you're missing out. You're missing out on what it really means to know Jesus and walk in his spirit every day. And secondly, and it's if you don't know the Holy Spirit as your personal friend, I don't care what you call it. If you don't know the Holy Spirit, if you're not depending on the Holy Spirit, Jesus had to go so he could come. 
And when he came, it said that he would be with us forever and we would do greater things than Jesus did. Well, guess what? Jesus needed the Father. We need the Spirit. Yes. So if you have, I don't, I don't want to get into all the cliches that go on around that, but today just say, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh and anew. Because you know what? You should be saying that every day. Every day when you get up, you should be saying, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh and anew that I might hear the voice of my Father. Jesus said he only did what the Father told him to do. If we only do what the Father tells us to do, we would see a lot more miracles because we would only be doing what the Father told us to do. So people, don't walk out of here with a religious heart today or with a religious basis for your relationship. Walk out of here today knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior because you chose him, but he chose you. Wow. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to say anything. But sorry, I am. <laughs> Y'all, it's, do you realize, those of you that have been here for any time, do you realize it's been since October of last year that I've gotten up here to, to bring the word? What's that? Oh, yeah. Kids, I'm going to let you go, but before you do, hang on. How many of you know, some of you have seen this before, how many of you know what a whip and a nay-nay is? <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're not old enough? Well, they're gonna, they will get this one, Right? When, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> that's, that's funny. <laughs> you should have seen the, the dance at Hannah and Jesse's wedding, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, the, so when I'm describing uh, baptism, I, 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 I do this. Can you see the cross in baptism? Here you got the water, see the water? And you're standing in the water. And baptism, which Jesus did, and what we're supposed to do, baptism is a picture of the cross, okay? It's a picture of the cross. In the water, we are buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Now, if you want to see what the gospel message is, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Uh, and, and basically, I'll sum it up so that we can let the children go out. It's as simple as ABC, backwards. This is the gospel message that Jesus was crucified, buried, and arose. Crucified, buried, and arose. Now, I was trying to do this before group, and uh, high, one of our high school youth came to me one time. We were, we were at a conference. They said, don't do that. I said, why not? And they said, because we got a whip and a nay-nay. And they got up, got up, they said, well, I don't even know what that is. And they did it. Said, Jesus crucified, buried, arose. Hey. <laughs> crucified, buried, and arose. Right? That's the gospel message. And I'm pretty consumed with the cross these days. I don't know about you. Some would say that I'm obsessed with it. Oh, man, how many people have tried to correct me on that? You know, they, they, they said, Johnny, 
It's beyond the cross. It's the resurrection. Yes, you can't have a resurrection without the death. And we pass over it so glibly sometimes. And the, the Lord is wanting to bring that to mind. Crucified, buried, and arose. Kids, y'all remember that as you go to your time together. And adults, we will stay in here and see what the Lord has to say to us about the cross. About the cross. Bless you, kids. Y'all, let me just say, say it again as that door closes. There it goes. Bless you, kids. Amen? Are you a kid today before the Lord? Y'all, I'm obsessed with the cross. I see the cross all around me. Since October, uh, Debbie and I went away and uh, and. We were in Denver and, and, and recognized some things that were going on inside of me in particular and how I was, I found out out there that I was burned out. That was the diagnosis. And the, the treatment prescription for me was really Jesus, you know, but um, here's the way it acts out. From November the 1st to February the 1st, we were having a soft start on our sabbatical. Now, this being the last Sunday in January gives me reason to be able to stand before you on the soft start. But February the 1st for three months afterwards is to be a hard stop for us to get our attention. Uh, I haven't even known what we were doing because during the the soft start has almost killed me. You know, when God gives you a vision, he lets it be tested. When you have a vision, it can actually die before it's resurrected. And y'all, the Lord's been teaching me in the soft start because a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And so the Lord has been working on my heart in this. Uh, And today... I get to share with you. Now, after this, I'm expecting probably for the next three months, Debbie and I are going to be out of town from mid-February for about a month. Um, Won't be far from from y'all. We will have you in our minds and in our hearts. But God has been showing me that I didn't know what a Sabbath was. Now, I kind of wanted the kids to hear this, but I want to ask you, anybody that was born before 1965, I'm not going to get you to stand up. <laughs> before 1965, I want you to answer a question. So let's, let's dialogue just a little bit. Uh, what do you remember in your upbringing, in those, in those early years, about Sundays? So, so stores were closed on Sundays. You went to church. Church is where you go, right? Okay, you hang out with family.
They did, didn't they? Calling people to worship and chimes at First Baptist. <laughs> how many PKs have we gotten here? Pastors, kids. Yep. Y'all know how to kill a Sunday, don't you? <laughs> Just work that thing over. Broadcast sermons on the radio. Live streaming. <laughs> Say that again. Hunting was illegal. <laughs> illegal on public land. Well, what about fishing? That's right. In our family, you know, if you went fishing, you'd catch the devil. My kids said, what about if we go hunting? <laughs> Do we shoot the devil? <laughs> my, oh, my. Growing up in Starkville, there were no restaurants open except the cafeteria at Mississippi State because they had to feed the students that were living there. So you could go on a Sunday out to the cafeteria and have a lunch. But if, if, you, if you didn't have uh, lunch ready at home or go to the cafeteria, you didn't eat. It, it wasn't going to happen. And, and a lot of folks did their cooking even before Sunday. Now, we say Sunday, we put it kind of like equivalent to a Sabbath. You know, I, 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 you can get in an argument. As Debbie was talking, she mentioned the Holy Spirit, and I thought, boy, all of the terminologies that we use, fill with the Spirit, um, uh, baptize in the Spirit. Man, if we threw out all the terms about the theology of the Holy Spirit, back in my day, we could have had a, had a fight. You know, over the one that is to unite us. <laughs> right? So what is a Sabbath? What is a Sabbath? You know, is it a particular day? I don't know, but I can tell you this. The Lord has shown me there needs to be one day a week that I observe as a Sabbath. One day. Now, we can take this... Y'all, if I downloaded all that I've been understanding about the Sabbath, and I have actually made sure I didn't do a word study on the Sabbath because I didn't want to work on the Sabbath to tell you about the Sabbath. I'm really just watching and listening and trying to unplug. Soft start to a sabbatical means that we're getting ready to cut loose from everything for three months to unplug. I have not done that for years. And uh, my mind and my body said, you think you're big and tough and got enough energy to keep on rocking? We'll show you. It's time for a Sabbath. And it's time for you to understand what Sabbath is. So whatever day it is, what does it mean? And, you know, when we go on a sabbatical, not in here. Y'all all have the right interpretation and understanding because y'all are just great theologians and understand it. But some folks, when they hear that we're not going to be here, like, I didn't have anything to do with it, but there was a ticket purchase for Debbie and I to fly to California, and we're supposed to be there three or four weeks. And uh, someone says, I hear you, you're leaving, going to California on a vacation. Let me tell you something. Sabbath is not vacation. 
When, when I asked some friends what a Sabbath was, they've said, well, <clears throat> this is what you do on a Sabbath. I'm seeing that Sabbath is not so much about what you do, but what you don't do. How you disconnect and, 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 and experience the seventh day rest that God has gotten for us. Now, I want to tell you, everything in our society goes against that in this day. That's the reason I asked from 1965 and back, because there is no day in our society that we experience that. You know what? I'm okay with that. But I'm not okay with me not experiencing that, because the word is very clear about some of the things that we miss out when we don't observe the Sabbath. And it's a strong admonishment and rebuke. The Sabbath. You know, I'm obsessed with the cross, and I think it has something to do with the Sabbath. Because on the cross, Jesus finished a work. And when we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus, it radically changes everything else. Because we don't do anything out of our own flesh and works. We are totally dependent on him most of the time. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. You know, I see the cross everywhere. In fact, uh, two Fridays ago, I went to, in our community to, to uh, a, group, a group of men. Well, there's actually a few young gals that were there too. We were there to hear someone share. And the guy got up there, and y'all, I, I, was, I was totally distracted. Now, I was distracted by everything else in the room, but there was one thing. Every time I looked at him, all I could see, this guy was in his 60s, he's a little bit older than me, but the whole time he was speaking, I saw, this was in, in like in a casual setting, but I saw a cross on his forehead. It was like a wrinkle. I'm going, Lord, I can't go anywhere without seeing the cross. And I was obsessed with this guy that was speaking, and it was powerful. <clears throat> and at the end, he, he said, said uh, well, I was invited to come up there and, and just, you know, I'm going to do my Sabbath no matter what. I went up there, and, and, uh, and I was ready to do whatever happened. And I didn't know what people were expecting, but after I was released to do whatever I was going to do, I just went, well, I'm just going to do whatever it is I feel like doing <laughs> so I walked over to the first girl on the right, young lady, and I went over and hugged her and talked to the man that was standing beside her and hugged him. I just loved on a few people. And I walked to one young man who had pulled his Bible out. The whole time this other guy was talking, he had his sword out. I thought he was going to cut his hand. He was flipping through, and then he zeroed in, and I was going, what has he got? I knew the young man. So I went up to him. I said, I need to hear from you. What'd you get? And he said, well, in Ezekiel, I went, get my attention. I hadn't preached on Ezekiel until 2018, and we went through the whole book of it. He said, in Ezekiel chapter 9, I was just looking, he began weeping. He said, chapter 9, verse 4, it says the Passed throughout the city of Jerusalem, the Lord, and he's weeping and sobbing. This is a big guy, and he's going, 
and he hugs him, and he, he goes back and reads the scripture, pass through the city of Jerusalem, the Lord said to them, and put a mark. And he took his thumb and made a cross on my forehead, as he said, and, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the testable practices committed in it. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, what? I said, did you see that guy's forehead? And he went, I don't know what you're talking about. I grabbed the guy, pulled him over. I said, look at his forehead. There's the wrinkle. First time I'd ever shook that guy's hand that was speaking. I said, you know you got a cross on your forehead? He went, oh, yeah. I wasn't sure that he did. I don't think he knew. But I'm obsessed with the cross. And he, he said, that passage says that, 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 that the people that had that mark on their forehead would, would escape some destruction. Kind of like the mark that was put over the, each uh, Hebrew family's house during the Passover. <laughs> and I'm just blown away. In fact, I, I looked. I did study on that one, um, and I'm not sure exactly how it comes, but one theologian says that it was a tau, or it's the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Is that right? And how does, what does a tau look like? It's kind of like a doorway. Kind of a doorway? Is there, is, can it be written like an X and then turned on its side looking like a cross? I'm going to my inside, biblical insight. Okay, very ancient script, maybe. But I saw the cross in the towel. Y'all, have you considered the seven last words of Christ, of Jesus? Let's just look at that, the seven last words. Uh, now, I, I, I ask you to have the... Matthew 27, get ready, get ready for that one. Don't, don't try to follow me through these. The first word is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Second word, amen, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Third word, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. Fourth word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fifth, I thirst. The sixth, there's seven of them, the sixth, he says, it is finished. It's done. And as I looked at that this past week, I saw that the seventh was a Sabbath. Everything he said before had a mission to it. And, and, and he comes to the seventh, the last word, and he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's a rest. Jesus actually on the cross showed a rest. Y'all, the cross sings to me. Do you hear it? Do you hear the cross singing to you? <laughs> the cross sings. So today, we're going to look at the crossings. Did you know that you can find the cross in the crossings? We'll look at that in just a minute. Let me just 
Make sure I haven't. Yeah, let me let me give you a couple of other things. You know, um, you know, Jesus said, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." Rest, boy, you got my attention. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Suke, soul, it means breath. The soul is a direct aftermath of God breathing, blowing his gift of life into a person, making them an ensouled being. You know, there's the, there's the breath that sometimes we have. Oh, several of y'all are yawning. That's really cool. That's a sign of peace and rest. I love it. But there's this, the blowing out of air that, that's kind of a sigh that you go, <sighs> have you seen that? <sighs> what kind of sigh is that? That's a tired sigh. That's a weary sigh. That's an oh no sigh. But the sigh that we used to talk about when we get on the airplane, we had six children. Y'all, we had sigh points. We've been all over the world, you know, lived 15 years outside of the States. And, 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 and as we were get on the plane, well, first of all, we'd check in. If we, were all got, if we all got boarding passes, then um, we'd go, <sighs> place of rest. We'd get to the gate. And all of us would walk through having our boarding pass checked, and we'd go, we'd say, that's another side point. And every time we do it, <laughs> some of you, you know, we had six children. I'm seeing some of you that have a lot of kids too, and I'm seeing those sides. You know what I'm talking about. But the, the ultimate was when we got them all seated and all the bags up in the overhead, and we're all seated on the plane, and they shut the door, and we give the, that's the final side point. <sighs> Breath. You will find rest unto your very breath. The life that's in you. Sit with a counselor, tell them a struggle, and they'll say, take a breath. Come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give rest to your soul. For all the years that I haven't observed a Sabbath, I allowed my soul to be depleted. But I'm here to tell you today that God is restoring my soul. He's restoring the breath. Some say when you go on this hard stop sabbatical, the three months that you're heading out on, um, I hope you really get some rest. I know you're tired. Let me just tell you, it's not about physical, mental, or even emotional tiredness. <laughs> Do you know you can work yourself to death trying to get out of tired? 
And God is showing us that we need to learn how to disconnect and set that time. You know, the, the Pharisees said to Jesus, uh, well, they were trying to correct him. He said, you believe that man was made for the Sabbath. And I'm telling you, Sabbath was made for man. Your soul needs to be restored, refreshed. One of these days, I'll come back and talk about this. I can't do it right now. In fact, I'm just trying to live and survive. That's my number one priority after going to Denver is to live and survive. Because if I don't live and survive, I can't, I can't be a part of anything. Now, I don't, I'm not afraid of death, but I'm not, I'm not just wanting to go. What is it that brings, you know, I have, we've had some meetings with a few people that, folks that have gone through some issues, some struggles, and, and I could tell they needed to talk. And so we would set up a meeting and talk. See, this is a part of the reason Tim has a bother Tim time. He's going to be up here so you can bother him. <laughs> bother brother Tim. Uh, but y'all, don't try to spare me your pain thinking I'm overloaded. Here's what the Lord showed me this past week. Are y'all okay? Because I'm bouncing around and I, I feel like I need to just bounce, so just bear with me. Um, last week, I was sitting with a couple and they shared some burdens and I said, y'all, that doesn't burden me. And here's what I got. If you were a fellow seeker of the kingdom of God and share a burden with a brother or sister, it's not burdensome. Here's why. If you're truly seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, implied in that seeking is the answer. <laughs> I've taught over the years with missionary groups and evangelism or whatever, bless the seeker and leave the scoffer alone. If you answer a person that's being a fool and a scoffer, you're going to get a fool and a scoffer's re response. There's a bit of a king and a fool in every person. So look for the king in that person, not the fool. Don't go up and try to pick a fight with somebody that thinks they know something. Find the one in that person that doesn't know something and bring them to the truth of the gospel where they can find an answer. And this is a step further into that. If someone is a seeker of the kingdom of God, implied in their seeking is a finding. You will seek and find that's not burdensome for me. When I'm sitting with you and you share a burden, we cast that care on Jesus. On the other hand, if you're a scoffer and come and try to lay a burden on me, I want to tell you that will burn me out. Why? Because there's no answer. Anything I say, you're going to go, nah. I'm tired of fighting and arguing. I'll do it, but it sure does wear you down. Wore me down to the point of this. I was just sitting there minding my own business this past week, and this hit me. I hadn't opened my Bible or nothing. And I thought, Jesus had different responses to Peter, Judas, and Pilate. During his cross mission, with Peter, he was one that was fully seeking. You know, Jesus, it says in, in the word that Jesus, many believed in Jesus, but he didn't entrust to them his heart. 
because he didn't trust himself to them because he knew their hearts. If we've got a scoffer's heart, it blocks our receiving. So we want to be as seeking first the kingdom of God. But I thought about Peter. With Peter, he first admonished him. He said, you're not going to die. No way. And he said, get behind me, Satan. That's to the one that was committed. In fact, God says that he chastises his children because he loves them. He speaks directly to Judas. He sent Judas on on his mission. He said, go do what you got to do. Basically, what you've set in your heart to do, go and do it. And then he gave he gave him a, a, a piece of bread. He dipped the bread and gave it to him. Generosity. And when it comes to Pilate, Pilate, he this is neither seeker scoffer thing. Pilate was about power, and he said to Jesus, Jesus before him, he's just quiet. You know, sometimes the best thing we can do is just be quiet and wait and see till you see the seeker come up. Just sit there. Somebody's talking, chewing you out. Do you realize when the enemy gets a glimpse of, of, of the plans that God has for us, when, and I don't think he's all-knowing, but when the enemy does, he comes with a vicious attack. So if God's got something for you, get ready. Get your, get your hard hats on. Before Pilate, Jesus was quiet, and Pilate says, Don't you know that I've got the authority to take your life? And Jesus goes, The only authority you've got is what my Father has given you. Jesus was not a victim. If you're a seeker of the kingdom of God, you're not a victim. You're royalty. Jesus told him, said, they demand this of you, do this. Go an extra mile. Give them another piece of your clothing. Why? Because you can't demand that to me and deny me of my generosity to give to you. I'm in another realm, right? So, man, man, I said a lot, and we haven't even looked at the crossings. I found the cross and the crossings. So if you would, just <clears throat> let's just think about the, the Red Sea. Could you put the, the picture up there? Of the, the, this is a picture of the Red Sea. Uh, no, the, sorry, the other, that one. There you go. Now, this is cool. I've been pondering this quite a bit. But when the children of Israel left uh, Egypt... They cross the Red Sea, right? <clears throat> now, there's a lot of argument about which place they crossed. And so I called up one of the most well-known archaeologists, and I said, where did they cross? And he said, good question. And I, it's one I fluctuate on. And he said, this is all by text. <clears throat> and he said, I would point you to a guy that's an authority on that with the Hebrew Bible. His name is Frank Cross. And I looked him up. Y'all, it doesn't matter where the crossing is. If you want to think it's where the bunch of reeds are and it was a foot deep, 
It's still a miracle because all those Egyptians drowned in that. <laughs> right? <clears throat> and if you're trying to do it to, to say, explain it away as some kind of natural something, well, that's incredible that it was a natural something that happened to happen when two million Hebrew children were trying to cross over and had the Egyptians behind them. Do you know there were the plagues, all of the plagues represented the deities of that day. And as they left Egypt to cross the, the Red Sea, as they went to cross, they were given all of the golden treasures from Egypt. They were moving from a place of slavery and bondage and they were being pursued by an Egyptian army. All of the chariots that were there in Egypt were after them. They were coming after them. They didn't have weapons. But y'all, as, as that in, enemy pursued them, the people, the Hebrew people, were leaving out of fear. And God provided a way. If, if, I thought it was kind of interesting if you look at this, this area here. And you can see the, this blue, it kind of looks like a peace sign, you know? So wherever you want, whichever finger you want to go through, let me just tell you, it's miraculous. They crossed the Red Sea, and the Egyptians were swallowed up behind them. It's kind of like us when we come. What, first of all, do you know how that water parted? It says Moses stretched out his hand over the water. I can just picture that. It may be just the right hand. But maybe it was both. But whatever the case, I saw the cross. And then it says that the Lord pushed back the waters. Can you see the waters being pushed back? From heaven's view, I see a cross. God provides a way and we go through it. When we go to the cross, we are set free from slavery and bondage. And God's intention is for us to be on a journey that's just taken off. But the Israelite children, they, as they crossed, they, they stayed in the desert, in the wilderness. It should have been just days, but because of their unbelief, they were there for 40 years, long enough for a whole generation to be killed off, to die. They're in the wilderness. They go to Mount Sinai, and, and, and they, they hear Moses. They see God moving Moses, and Moses hears from the Lord and comes up with the Ten Commandments. And now they know. You, you realize there were, there were no Ten Commandments before that. So now they got the law. And they put that into an ark along with Aaron's rod and a jar of manna from the wilderness. And they carried that ark wherever they went. It was a symbol of God's presence. But the second crossing is the river Jordan. Jordan means going down. And you go down into the Jordan. Back in that day, it was much wider. You've seen pictures of it today. A lot of the irrigation has pulled things away. It's a smaller place, but it was big. And it says that in this situation, Joshua steps up. God told him, said, 
get the ark, let them let the priests there to carrying it, step into the water, and watch what happens. Well, all of a sudden, this this is the Jordan River, so it's flowing one way. With this one, it says the angel of the Lord pushed that water up north, and they walked across on dry ground. Can you imagine this? He said, take the ark, stand in the middle of the Jordan, and wait until everybody's crossed, two million of them. And as they crossed, they had to stay 2,000 cubits away from the ark. That's, that's about 10 football fields. They couldn't get any closer than that as they crossed. And, and the ark is there. There's a difference. You see, when they left Egypt, they left out of fear. But when they w- walked into the promised land, they walked in with faith. So they were running from something, and then they were going into something. And as they cross over, I again saw the cross from heaven. Do you know how far that water was pushed back? See, this was a judgment on the flesh. It was a judgment on the Egyptians. They were leaving something behind. They took 12 stones from the middle of that river and put them up on the other side, near uh, Gilgal, I think. But they also took 12 stones and put it right in the middle of the Jordan. And Joshua says, and they're there till this day. And I, I think they still are. But there was a judgment on the flesh that the law would bring. So we're moving out of slavery to Egyptians into the slavery to the law of sin and death, moving into the promised ground, promised land. Now, Jesus, when he was baptized, went to that same Jordan. Do you see the cross? It was a picture of what was going to come. He was crucified, buried, and arose. Hey, hey, hey. When Jesus died on the cross, something really significant happened. Carrying the ark across, it was covered. You couldn't even look at it. It was covered. They just saw where it was. But when Jesus died on the cross, when it was finished, the veil was rent in two from top to bottom. Man didn't do that. And it was opened up by the grace of God for us to move into relationship, sonship with him. Oh, you can see the cross all throughout the Old Testament. And I love it when it says that Jesus on the Emmaus Road, where where he took all the scripture and showed them things concerning himself. And in the upper room, same thing, showed them. We didn't have the New Testament then. It was all the Old Testament. And he showed them the gospel throughout the Old Testament. I can imagine him saying, and they pushed back, the, the angel of the Lord pushed the water back while he's got this showing. You see it? You see the cross? I woke up this morning worried. Worry happens when our faith is not strong. But I woke up worried because I thought of something that somebody told me, and I was thinking, man, this is not going to work out the way I was hoping it was going to, and it's going to affect somebody here and this person there, and I just was worried. And I got, uh, I got a little devotional. People send me devotions. Sometimes I read them. And this one I read this morning. After waking up and worrying a little bit, this is what the devotion says. 
today's. Worship me only. Whatever occupies your mind the most becomes your God. Worries, if indulged, develop into idols. Anxiety gains a life of its own. Parasitically infesting your mind, break free from this bondage by affirming your trust in me and refreshing yourself in my presence. Y'all, that's a Sabbath. What goes on in your mind is invisible, undetectable to other people, but I read your thoughts continually, searching for the evidence of trust in me. I rejoice when your mind turns towards me. Guard your thoughts diligently. Good thought choices will keep you close to me. And listen to this verse, Psalm 112, 7. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. That's Sabbath. Not only do we come into a relationship of rest with the Lord, but he takes us on a journey of rest with him. And I got another from a city leader this morning. One of our city leaders sent me a little devotional, seat of encouragement. Unhappy people like to inject their negative vibes into the atmosphere in an attempt to infiltrate your place of peace and joy with their misery and strife. Anybody bumped into that recently? I, that might be a scoffer. But when we have tapped into the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, we come to realize that we don't have to allow what's happening around us to get inside of us and control how we feel. We have a choice in what we allow ourselves to receive and what we reject. When we detect mess coming our way, we can stop it in its track and just smile and politely say, no, thank you. I'm not falling for that mess today. A gentle answer turns away wrath, or Debbie would say wrath. <laughs> Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Boy, I'm seeing the cross in everything, even in things that I've done. Debbie didn't know that I'd pull this off the wall from our house. But, uh, this is a, a picture can you see that picture of that guy? Do you know who that guy is? It was, this was painted or drawn by uh, Brent Thunderbird at Mississippi State. And he did it because I asked him to do an album cover for me. I've got an album. Well, it's a cassette. And I'm not trying to sell it because I don't have many. We've already sold them. That was in 1987. But do you see the cross in this? When we come through the cross and surrender to him, we enter into a life. We move from the darkness into light. The name of this album is He Called Me By Name. So I'm not selling tapes or albums because I don't have many. Does anybody have a cassette Tape player, you know what they are? <laughs> well, I do have one, and I'm going to give this to you. How about that? They're selling, oh, selling cassette players? Well, there you go. Those are all songs that I wrote. 
I need to do this because I felt this morning while I was speaking, well, he's not here. Where'd Clint go? Could you send somebody out to get Clint? This is nice because I haven't known them very long and I felt like the Lord showed me something. See if you notice anything about Clint when he walks in. Because I've noticed this about him. Wherever he goes, he's got some camouflage on. And, and uh, brother, I felt this morning I was supposed to put this hat on and say to you that the Lord sees you. He sees you and he cares and he's got it. Elders. <laughs> I knew that. That was going to happen anyway, probably. Elders, where are you? The elders here at New Horizons, you've been recognized as an elder. I want you to stand up. Yeah, I know. Sorry. <laughs> Some are not here. If you're watching by Facebook Live or YouTube Live, whatever, I'm just, I just want to say back in the back, look, God's got this. He's got you. Be seated. I spent two and a half hours this past week just crying and laughing uncontrollably, going through people's names and saying, this person's name and saying, God, you know, and you've got this. Now, I'm hoping that by what I said to Clint and what I've said to the elders, that everybody gets something from this. God knows, and he's got it. You see, it's not just a one day a week. The truth is when we come into the cross, into relationship, into sonship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when we move into that, we move into a lifetime of rest. Then our works are not our own. It's him doing it through us. And that's the Sabbath rest that we are to live in. You hear? I'm not saying sit around and do nothing. That's not rest. But if you let him do through you what he wants to do, that's rest. I'm done. Except I felt like I was supposed to sing one song. So I'm done speaking. Can I sing this over you? It's from the hymn book. And this one is 144. Not the one I used to have, but there you go. Drink this in. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. And pour contempt on all my pride. <coughs> Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood.
see from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? O'er thorns compose so rich a crown. Were the whole rib of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Oh, Jesus, when we see the cross and think of your love for us, we say you have our lives. We, we say yes to you. We yield to you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Brothers and sisters, when you look at the cross and you see the curse that he took on himself of sin, remember this, that when they crossed the Jordan River, they pushed the angel of the Lord pushed the waters back all the way up to the city of Adam. <laughs> and then it flows south. So from the beginning of Adam into the future, Jesus has taken the penalty of our sin on himself. When the enemy lies to you, saint, son and daughter of God, and tells you that you are guilty, say, thank you for reminding me. But because the guilt of our sin falls on the cross, don't you take it down. It can't be in both places. If you take the guilt on yourself, <laughs> it's not on him. But when it's on him, you live in grace in his finished work. Rest in his finished work. Rest. Rest. Facebook Live around the world. Rest in the finished work of Jesus. These next three months, Debbie and I are going to be resting. And he'll when we all come back together, there's no telling what we're going to find here in Starkville, Mississippi, or wherever you are in the world. Will you rest in the finished work of Jesus today? Oh. Oh, I got this song singing in a church. It came and somebody recorded it. It's on that tape. Rest, my little ones, rest. Cast all your cares on Jesus. 
and rest, my little ones, rest. Rest, my little ones, rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and that are heavy laden. Take up my yoke and learn of me and rest, my little ones, rest. When we're resting in the finished work of Jesus, we will see so much more done for his kingdom and his glory. Thank you, Lord. You know, I believe that we're supposed to walk out, find out what hat you're supposed to put on when you get around somebody. Wear what they're wearing, become flesh to them, and speak the, the grace and truth that Jesus gives. Moses gave the law from Mount Sinai. John 1 says that Jesus gave grace and truth from Mount Zion. So that's the invitation today. The invitation is to read the sign when you go. That sign in the parking lot, read it. We got one more Sunday, we'll be here, right? Yeah. You got two more. Two? All right. Well, don't, don't pray for our vacation. Pray that we find a way to unplug. And we're praying for you that you would fully enter into his rest. That's, that's the word I've got today. I'm done. So I don't think there's, I mean, if you feel like responded, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm, I'm responding to the invitation God's just given me. And tell them whatever it is, okay? That's why we're doing it today. All right? I think that's it. Is that it? I don't know what to do. All right. My father plays dominoes more than your father plays dominoes. Be blessed. Be a blessing. The service begins now.